so I guess one of the things that I know you have a, a, a personal experience of is that obviously some of the houses like Dior and Chanel, they've continued on that, you know, they've, they've got the heritage. Chanel, one of the oldest. Dior, post Second World War, so maybe not as old. But this in and out of houses, whether it's the post-war like a Courage or a Guy Laroche, or the really old ones like Lanvin um, and Patou now, um, what is your feeling about these names and the fact that they come up and then they're dropped and then they change designers? Um, I think there's a probably a few things that happen with each of them that that you know from my experience with with Guy are, are really imperative for turning these around. I think the first one is that you have to have upper management who aren't tied to the heritage of the label because mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times that sort of sinks the ship in trying to reinvent it because you have an idea as a creative director in which you know may actually fly in the face of their pre-existing customer base but if their pre-existing customer base was generating the revenue that they were looking for then i wouldn't be signing on uh so there is a um there's first a, a shift there that has to happen uh and they have to um uh basically believe it in the fact that the creative director can bring on a new vision that even if it alienates some of those core customers, it brings on more um, newer ones that uh, basically pat out that bottom line and help it grow. I think you can see that with some, um, with, with labels like Bottega Veneta, where there was that initial sort of um, uh, confusion on, well, Thomas Meyer clearly has a, uh, uh, you know, a signature here, and he clearly has a customer base, but, um, you know, it wasn't growing as fast as they wanted. And with, with their management there, they're happy to have someone come in and completely change the rules. Uh, so that's the first thing you need. If you don't have that, that's, that's an uphill, uphill battle the entire time. Um, the second thing is, uh, I think, with the brands that aren't necessarily um, the big stalwarts like uh, uh, Dior or, or um, Chanel or uh, even Hermes, uh, they those the other brands cater to a crowd that's much more fickle, um, and though and they don't necessarily have allegiances very deep to uh, these other brands that aren't these sorts of Chanels and these um, Vuittons. So you do do get trapped in that that cycle where uh, you start to chase that newness, and that becomes the sort of um, you know, point of, of building out that, that new vision. Uh, but I found that as time started to pass, uh, you couldn't help but, you know, pull back into some of those archives and start re-referencing them because, you know, otherwise you're kind of just making your own brand for your own name. It doesn't really make any sense. I mean, you can see this with everyone from um, Demna at Balenciaga to, um, uh, um, Michele, uh, you know, as, as time went on, at they, after they had made their radical stamp, mm. they actually started to go back, mm -hmm. go back through the archives. So they had solidified that the vision that they were pushing was new, but then they always go back at that point. It's always those mid collections, which I find very interesting. Um, uh, but you have to have that sort of strong heritage base to start with, I think. I guess if you're a brand and 
a designer and a name and a label that is strong enough to have become established where however long ago it is or however recent it is, there must have been a reason in the first place. And in that sense, whether it's sexiness or it's eccentricity or it's, you know, beautiful cocktail wear or whatever it is, that sort of like the, the heart of what made it work in the first place. So you probably have to have that somewhere linking it for, you know, it's with Guy, there's that, that, you know, that the dress with the, with the low, that's kind of synonymous with it and certain things. You mm -hmm. have to have it somewhere, don't you? Yeah, you always do. I mean, we, we try to incorporate um, those sorts of flourishes in, um, in the collections in, in, you know, clever or interesting ways that weren't so literal. Um, and you know, the, the nice thing about it was the, the people who really understood the label really liked it. And then you also had to toe that line well, where it's that thing where, you know, if you watch a film and you don't necessarily know what the references are that the, that, that the characters are talking about, you have to make sure that the audience will still find it enjoyable. So mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, even if you're referencing those things back, if to a loyal fan, uh, they love it because of the cultural reference, if you remove that, and you just show it to someone else and they don't like it, well, then you kind of lost. So it has to, you have to fuse that reference into it without being so, I think, literal and heavy handed. And I mean, that kind of detail, uh, I think you could look at someone like McQueen and say he actually took that further. So when we looked at, you know, that cutout dress, um, that, that extremely low back, Mm -hmm. um, McQueen sort of took that into the bumster and that was like the, the next evolution of it. So it was like, okay, well, let's just keep more of the back element to it because if we start mm -hmm. to go there, then it, it tends to drift into another um, designer's aesthetic and that's not really what we wanted at that point. Um, I mean, I guess the other thing is that, you know, with, with these brands like Chanel and uh, uh, Vuitton and um, uh, Dior, I mean, I don't really think that they really exist for even collections in the sense of, of, of runway collections. They already have that product base built into it. And it's just that driver to get that person into that store to get excited about it. Whereas with these other labels where you not, don't necessarily have those it bags or their it bags from previous designers from, from uh, um, past or past creative directors, then you have to make sure that that product offering is sharp and really facing towards that consumer base. So then you have to be more daring in somewhere like um, uh, Balenciaga, which I think the last bag hit they had was when Gessier was there. Uh, and um, uh, Bottega, which was trying to revamp that, um, uh, their signature uh, uh, weaving technique, but they had to actually get people excited again about the collections to bring them in because they didn't necessarily have that foundational base that somebody like Chanel has, where they know that, you yeah. know, you don't necessarily have to rock the boat here. This is what we're selling. This is what people come to us for. We're good for, I don't know, next 10, 12 years. But then how important, and this is something that I, I find very interesting with, for example, with Gucci, they didn't really do clothes till Tom Ford. So mm. Michele's only archive to really go through in terms of fashion is 
what Tom did, and then the Gucci canvas and the Gucci, um, you know, whatever, the strapping, the, 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 the green and red. Mm-hmm. And the same with Wheaton, that until they put Mark Jacobs in there to do clothing, Wheaton wasn't about clothing. So again, he was creating from the ground upwards. So now when Gesquier is there or whoever is at, at those brands, they've actually got a very, very limited resource on clothing. Mm-hmm. Do you think that matters? Um, I always like the idea of going into a house and, and not having that archive. I think that would yeah. be extremely exciting. Um, because then you decide how much you want to hone to the craft of the of, of whatever product it is that set it apart. Yeah. Um, I mean, Guy had a pretty substantial, well, not as, as substantial as someone like Dior or, or, or Chanel, but he had a pretty, pretty good one. Yeah. Um, but uh, we mind it a bit. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to answer because I can really only, you know, give it from the point of view of when I went into that house, we had that yeah. kind of archive that we went through. And it was interesting to see when Albert was there, the few collections that he had done and how he had started to recontextualize some of that work. Yeah. Um, uh, but. And many people forget that Albert was there. And that was really the beginning of his, his actual name was what he did when he went in there. And yeah. I think, that, you know, again, it's that thing that for me, for example, with Gesquier, that he's, you know, he did Balenciaga, he's now at Vuitton. But what does Gesquier do? Well, well, uh, when he comes to Vuitton now after Mark. Yeah. Uh, you see, it's, 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 and this is the whole problem with the designer yeah. is, how much of what Vuitton produce is Gesquier because there isn't really anything other than Mark. Mm. And that, that sense that I get that in, in, a, in a way that I think this whole revolving doors of designers in and out of houses and the relationship between obviously what's selling, mm-hmm. who's making the decision? Is it a creative decision or is it a business decision? Well, I would say from my my experience it is essentially a business decision uh there is an uh, there's obviously a creative directional aspiration there for what we'd like to see but i mean in in, i think somebody like Gesquet is a very um singular example though where i look at his clothing from um vuitton and i see balenciaga the last yeah, three or four collections that he did where he was yeah. obsessed with the kind of newsprint and all of these sorts of things. You can see that technique and he became obsessed with that and ran that and he runs that through Vuitton. So I think at that point he had pretty much solidified his own aesthetic mm. in the same way that when Phoebe Philo comes out with her own label, I mean, we kind of know what it's going to look like. <laughs> I mean, it, would be, it would be strange to not to not capitalize on it. Obviously, it's not going to be exactly the same in the same way that when she was at um, Chloe, it had uh, uh, evolved from that. Um, but I think with those sorts of designers, they actually build a signature aesthetic within the brand that then separates themselves from it. And it's one of those things where I think when I went in at Guy and I looked at Albert, I made sure that that was actually something that I did not want to reference. Yeah. Um, because it's the same thing of, I don't know, watching a you know, a, a student's documentary about punk instead of actually going back to the 
<laughs> reference source materials of punk and, and trying to figure out what that means to you in the in that context. Um, but I mean, I guess the larger point is probably, you know, how, how important they are, uh, creative directors to the houses. Um, I mean, I think, I think it really depends on the house. And if that house already has a substantial uh, offering of, of accessories or some sort of product category that they're selling. And um, if, I mean, I think even more now because of the whole Daniel Lee thing, I think a lot of it's about just, can you get on with your team? And, and are you going to be an absolute disaster working with management? Do you know how to talk to people who are not in the design field? Because that, that, those conversations were, we had more of those than really with the development team because half of us were just doing our own thing. So I think that's very important now because you're that figurehead. I think it's very funny that you, you, you led straight into what my next question was. <laughs> and I think it's, it's something that a huge amount of people don't understand is that although you are the creative director, you don't just sit in a little tiny room drawing hundreds of handbags and clothes and pushing them all out and they just all get something whatever that this team of people and from time to time in the old days magazines would pick up and they'd show mark and his team of wheat on and so on but the sheer scale of what has to be produced particularly with some of those mega brands mm. you know there's a lot of people involved i think that is one of the, the problems as well is with the revolving door businesses is not giving anybody a chance to build some of that up because you mm -hmm. can't do it in five minutes yeah yeah i mean i think then it, it sort of falls on uh the you know groups of people who stay within the brand who are usually more on the production and the manufacturing product development mm -hmm. side and it's interesting because then they have more of a, a signature or or a make that they kind of push through for each of those those designers mm -hmm. but you can see as well when a creative director comes in and replaces the product director. It's almost instantaneous how things can change. I mean, there's a few mm -hmm. designers that I won't say, but when they came into a house and you saw the quality of the work, you just yeah. saw, you know, you guys fired the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, you know, it, with, with Gucci, for example, there are so many sub brands because there's the eyewear and there's the this and there's the that and the endless amount of stuff and the number of, of pieces that they have to produce to globally fill everywhere that is stocking Gucci. Um, mm. the, the whole idea of the team and also understanding what everybody's doing in production. It mm. isn't just being a designer. So I think if you look at someone like Michele and you look at someone like Demna, I think the reason that they, both of them have done extremely well, not to mention the fact that, you know, I think that Demna is probably in my view, besides someone like um, Hedy, uh, is probably one of the only designers who has basically created uh, a, 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 an aesthetic that reaches beyond fashion and it, it reaches into music, it reaches into actual culture. It's not, it's not sort of siloed into um, uh, the design identity. Um, but I think what's really interesting about uh, uh, Demna and Alessandro is that both of them had worked within team environments prior to this. So Demna was at Vuitton and, and um, Alessandro was the uh, head of accessories. And 
So they had basically cut their teeth working underneath people, which meant that they had to understand how the dynamic of a team works and how it functions. And so Demna is working at Vetmont and they, you have lots of Volkova there as well. And they're building this thing together. So when you slot creative directors like this into uh, mm -hmm. these brand environments, they tend to flourish more because they have to know how to talk to everyone. Yeah. Demna had to know how to talk to the stylists, how to talk to the photographers, how to talk to the press, uh, you know, how to, you know, talk his way into basically letting Louis Vuitton not sue him for basically for running Vetmon, you know, pretending he's not the designer, all this kind of stuff. I mean, there's, that is extremely savvy. But we used to ha always have this joke where um, we would say, you know, and this is even when I had my own label, I said, I would take a person who is 25% less talented, who I don't want to throw out the window then I would a person who's 25% more talented, who I could not sit at the yeah. design table and, you know, yeah. have a conversation with. And I think a lot of that has to do with that. I think that's why they've done so well. Also, it's not that they don't rock the boat. It's that they're, they seem to me, and I've met them once, that they're very easy to talk yeah. to. And it's not about pretension. It's just yeah. about something they like, and they're making it for their friends. I think also it's when they get the opportunity, they've built up a lot. It's, mm -hmm. it's like Pier Paolo of Valentino, you know, mm -hmm. in the same way as Michele was in accessories. And I think therefore that they understand the importance of the accessories within the brand and as far as the commerciality is concerned. And I think that's in, in, today more than ever incredibly important. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think. Um you know, with, with those three designers, they understood the importance of, of those building blocks. Um, I think, he, not to go back to that, to him, but I mean, I think I read something that when Hedy did all of his collections at Saint Laurent, they used to do the shoes first. Yeah. And then they would design all the collections after that. I mean, <laughs> it's funny to see how many designers really talk, really work with the accessories and then everyone remembers them for the clothes, but really mm. it's about those pieces. And I think you have to have those to carry it forward. But I guess for every jacket you sell, you probably sell X number of shoes or X number of handbags or belts anyway. So it makes more sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think we'll finish there and go on to our next subject, young man. Great. Right.